0: I know many of us will be doing some traveling during the holidays, and that's always a, a, a great time to be able to, to go and be with family and go to new places. If I were to ask my, my four children what their, their favorite trip we've ever taken, or, or possibly favorite Christmas, uh, quite a few years ago, we were able to go to New York City and spend Christmas. Uh, John and Janelle Dale actually had a, had a, have, have a daughter who owned an apartment at that point, point. In uh, New York City. Too bad she doesn't still have it. But, um, that was, we were able to take our Chevy Astro van and drive all the way up there and spend some days. And it was, it was just amazing. We got to go to the Radio City Christmas Spectacular, got to see all the lights. We got to go to the world's largest toy store and survive. And, um, we just had a wonderful, wonderful time. New York City is an amazing Christmas town. But it certainly doesn't compare to the Christmas towns that we're visiting. Uh, Last week we went to Jerusalem and and we heard the question, will you make Jesus your king? And and today we go to another one of these cities. Uh, We go to the town of Nazareth. And when I think about Nazareth, I think about a story that appeared in Reader's Digest not too long ago. It was submitted by a lady named Carol Howard from Indiana. And she writes about taking her four-year-old son to the zoo. And while they're at the zoo, they see a peacock that shows its amazing plumage just as bright as the NBC peacock. And when the little four-year-old boy got home, he ran up to his dad. He said, Dad, guess what happened? Guess what happened? He said, what, son? He said, I saw a Christmas tree come out of a chicken. Well, sometimes Christmas appears in the most unexpected places. And let me tell you, Nazareth is the most unexpected places. Today, if you go to Nazareth, you'll find that Nazareth is a city of about 30,000 people. It's basically a, a tourist trap. But in Jesus' day, in Mary's day, it was just a tiny village of about 200 people. It was rather insignificant. It was really a pretty new village that had popped up on the outskirts of a military outpost. If you read the Jewish Talmud, which gives a lot of history of, of Israel in that day, and they mention in that Talmud about 64 cities in Galilee, Nazareth is not mentioned. If you were to read Josephus the historian, he will mention 45 towns in, in in Galilee, and he too will not mention Nazareth. You read your whole Old Testament, and Nazareth never shows up, because Nazareth, Nazareth is a pitiful podunk town. But it comes to be an incredible place that sort of surprises people. You remember when the disciple Nathaniel finds out about Jesus, and they tell him he's from Nazareth. He quickly exclaims, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You've got to be kidding me. And so it's in the middle of nowhere that God reveals himself through two nobodies and issues amazing challenge. Go with me to Nazareth, Luke chapter 1, let's read verses 26 through 33. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to see her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now watch this. This is sort of interesting. Mary was greatly troubled at these words. An angel shows up and gives you this incredible greeting. You're troubled. What, what, what is he about to say? And worried what kind of greeting that might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have been, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of the father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. Wow. Mary's engagement is interrupted to find out about Jesus coming. Now for us to understand this story, we got to do a little background research. We need to look at marriage in, in in the Jewish culture, all right, there were three different phases of marriage. The first phase is what we would call engagement. That was step number one. Now, this may shock us, but in their day, engagement happened when you were just a young child. The, the parents would get together, and they would make a decision about their children getting married. And so as a child, without any of their knowledge or input, they would be engaged, how would, how would you like that idea? Well, for the Jewish people, quite honestly, they thought marriage was much too serious a deal to live up to the dictates of just human passion. And for a Jewish person, if you had transport them here today, guys, they would think we were absolutely nuts. Well, what do we do in marriage? We take a teenager whose hormones are in overdrive We give them the key to a car at 16 years old, and we say, go find a mate. And they would say, that's a recipe for disaster. You see, they had a different order than us. They believed in commitment and vow and covenant and then passion. We believe in passion, and then hopefully the commitment and vows will follow They would think our term and our way of doing things absolutely absurd. Well, maybe that's a sermon for another day. That's step number one, engagement. Step number two is to be pledged. And this would happen when you were a teenager. And this was the last for a year. And this is where Mary and Joseph are. In this time of being pledged to one another, you are considered husband and wife. But you don't live together, and you don't sleep together. And and that's why we understand the crazy part of this story back in Matthew chapter 1. When Mary tells Joseph about her pregnancy, Joseph plans on divorcing her. And we say, well, why don't you just break off the engagement? Well, to be pledged was bigger than that. You had to be divorced at that point to get out of it. In fact, we read some weird stuff in the Old Testament, you may have run into this before and thought, what's this about? That talks about a virgin who was a widow. In other words, this is that, that person who's pledged to be married, who's looked at as husband and wife, never consummates the marriage, but divorces, and now she's looked at as a widow. So you got engagement step one, pledge step two, step three was the wedding. And the wedding was a really, really big deal. And so for Mary, what she's doing in this year of being pledged is she's making plans for the biggest day of her life. And for a podunk town like Nazareth, it would be one of the biggest days in that city's life because everyone would be involved and the wedding would last not a day, not an afternoon, but for a whole week. And so think about this for a moment. Mary's life story is planned out. Her parents planned years ago for her to, to marry Joseph. She had no idea that you could go about it a different way. She's already been pledged and considered to be his wife. And now she's planning on marrying Joseph. I, I would imagine she plans on having children. She's going she's gonna to name the first son Joseph because that's what everybody did. And they're going to live in this obscure little village. And they're going to seek to honor God. It's all planned out. It's been planned out since she was a baby. And listen to me, guys. Right now, she's planning a wedding. She's not planning a baby shower. And then everything is interrupted by God. The angel shows up. The angel says to Mary, there's a new script for your life. And it didn't read like the script she had planned. And that brings us, if you're taking notes, to Nazareth's question. Will you join a new story? Will you join a new story? See, Mary's, Mary's got her life planned out. I mean, it's all going to go by script, like everybody else's. And God shows up, and he completely turns it upside down and interrupts it. And it's not all joy, this interruption. We'll talk about that in a minute. And so the question is, will you join a new story? Now, let's talk about that story because we need to understand it just a little bit. First of all, this is the most amazing story of all time. So amazing that it was hard to believe. It's still hard to believe today, is it? It was certainly hard for Mary to believe. When the angel showed up and made that announcement to Mary about her giving birth to the Son of God, Mary first objects. Verse 34, Luke chapter 1. How will this be? Since I'm a virgin. (laughs) Uh, Angel, I don't know where you came up with this thing, but virgins don't have babies. And then the angel answered, The Holy Spirit, okay, will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, and he will be called the Son of God. Can you imagine if you're this little teenage girl, and you're told this. I mean, you're one to ask, am I going to put a diaper on God? I mean, talk about a change of plans. And then what's this business about the Holy Spirit? I mean, you read the Old Testament, there's not even a really great idea of the Trinity there. It's there, but it's sort of hard to pick up. How much do you think Mary understands about the angel saying the father is going to give birth to the son in you and you're going to become pregnant through the Holy Spirit? Okay, father, son, spirit, three in one. Listen, let's be honest right here. We don't even get it that good, do we? (laughs) Can you imagine you're a teenage girl in Nazareth? And you're trying to understand this whole business about what is going to happen. She had a hard time grasping it. And let's be honest today, this is a wild and crazy story. But it is such a significant story. I love a few years ago when Larry King was interviewed. Larry King had probably interviewed more famous people in the history than anyone else in the history of the world. And Finally, he's interviewed and he's asked if you could interview any one person you've never interviewed. Who would it be? And Larry King who you need to understand is a Jew Said I would want to interview Jesus Christ and the man said, well, what would you ask him? And King said this are you indeed born of a virgin? And then he adds The answer to that question would define history for me. King got the significance, a Jewish man. The question is do we? A famous preacher, Robbie Zachariah, heard about that and wrote Larry King and said, did you really say those words, and if you did, could I quote them? And King wrote back, I did say it, you can quote me, I was not being facetious. Why? Because King understood what we need to understand this morning. The virgin birth is the foundation of the whole story. The incarnation is the key to the beginning and to who Jesus was. In fact, if you get to the book of 1st John, John has to straighten some heresy out and he basically says, if you don't believe in the incarnation, the virgin birth, you can't be a Christian. But let's be honest. There's so much about Jesus it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that he really walked on water. It's hard to believe that he healed the sick. It's hard sometimes to believe that he resurrected dead people from the grave. It's hard to believe that with a word, he could steal a storm. That's why we have some people who will rewrite the gospel, and even quote religious people, and will write those parts out of the story because they say that's just impossible to believe. But listen to me. If you believe in the incarnation, then none of those things are difficult to believe. Because if Jesus really is the Son of God, if He really is God, well, guys, He can walk on water and He can walk on any part of the planet He created, don't you think? And He's got the power to change anybody, whether it's a sickness or a spiritual disease, and He has the power to resurrect people from the dead and to be resurrected Himself. Because that's the foundation. Because we meet here today because there were obviously some people 2,000 years ago who actually believed this crazy story. Mary accepts it. Joseph accepts it. The disciples accept it. And we meet 2,000 years later, hopefully, not just for some sweet little Christmas time together, but because we believe this amazing story that God was willing to, To shrink down and be a baby. To enter our world to rescue us. That that is amazing. The Christian songwriter Michael Card writes a song where he says, No fiction is this fantastic and wild. A mother made by her own child? Wow. So we meet. And today, let me say to you, there's no other story that challenges the Christmas story in terms of wonder, awe, amazement. It is truly a fantastic story. But let's not stop there. Our next point is that it's the most demanding story of all time. It's a demanding story. You know, we we all love stories. That's why most of us really enjoy movies. But, you know, there are sort of two different kinds of movies. There's some movies that simply entertain, that you go to and you just, you know, just let your, your brain veg out for a couple hours and you don't remember the script three hours later. There are other movies and stories that invite you in, that touch you, that change you, that call for an action on your part. I've been thinking a lot the last week about the death of Nelson Mandela. And um, if I ever get famous, please don't hire that sign language guy, okay? (laughs) But um, I've been thinking about his death, and I think about the movie that came out a few years ago, Invectus. Anybody go see that movie? It was just an amazing movie about Nelson Mandela. It it had to do with the the South African rugby team, which has just been a lily white sport that the white people of South Africa loved but quite frankly the black people had resented and now mandela is the president and the world cup's being held in south africa and mandela embraces the team he starts to wear their jersey He shows up at their games on the field and congratulates them and wears their hat. And in the long run, they win the World Cup. And Mandela is right in the middle of it. But the transformation is, not only is Mandela cheering, but the entire majority black population of South Africa has now joined in cheering this team. And it was what Mandela was best about. It was about forgiveness. And reconciliation. And I remember watching that movie. And again, to this day, I can tell you the script. Because that movie moved me. It invited me. It demanded change. If this man that was in prison for 27 years for nothing but the color of his skin can forgive his imprisoners and embrace the people who once despised him, What problem do I have with forgiveness? Now, that's the kind of story that we're looking at here. It's a story that invites us to change. It's that second kind of story. And when the angels make their announcement, it's going to stretch Mary, literally, in more ways than one. And it's obviously going to stretch us. Some of you are old enough to remember there used to be a A stress test out there by a psychologist named Holmes. And they would give a certain number of points for different things in your life that could bring stress. For instance, if you were getting married, it was 50 points. If uh, you lost a job, it was 35 points. If you moved to a new city, it was 25 points. Holmes' idea was if in any one year you reached 200 points, you were in danger of a nervous breakdown. Well, a few years ago, Homiletics Magazine tried to rate Mary's stress. Well, she had a wedding coming up, 50 points. She was pregnant before the wedding, 40 points. It was unplanned, 20 points. She had to tell her parents. She had to um, tell her fiancé. She had to take a trip, nine months pregnant, to Bethlehem. And then as soon as she has a baby, she's got to flee to Egypt. They added up the points and said Mary's points added up to 421 Now here's what I want you to see. She allowed herself to be put in this position. When the angel announced to her that they want, that God wanted her to give birth to his son, she is a teenager. She's got to know that to join this life story is going to be embarrassing. That her whole, whole life's plan, excuse me, her whole life's plan would change. It would mean that Mary would live a lifetime of scandal. Now, we live 2,000 years later, and we think it's sweet. It's not sweet in a small Jewish village to be pregnant out of wedlock and concoct the story that it was the Holy Spirit. And so when she's told this, guys, the entire creation and universe is waiting on her answer. What is she going to say? Let me tell you this about God. He doesn't force himself upon her. Here's her answer, Luke 1 verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, may it be as you have said. Say that with me. I am the Lord's servant, may it be as you have said. She surrenders to this story. Martin Luther, the great theologian, said there are three Christmas miracles. Number one, that God became a man. Number two, that a virgin could conceive. Number three, that Mary could believe. It was a new script for her life. And here's what I want you to know. The story is still demanding. It will bring a new script for your life. Maybe you have your life planned out. Maybe it's what society's told you fits. Maybe it's what your family's told you is what fits your life. Maybe it's your friends. You've got the American dream all planned out. You know, you're gonna get married and have children and have the house with the white picket fence and you're gonna grow old and retire and I mean it's just it's just it's it's all planned out. Or maybe you've got the newer American dream that, you know, in your teen years, your college years, and a little bit in that, you're going to party like crazy, and then one day you'll settle down and get married, and then, I mean, you you know, that's just sort sort of the new plan. But let me tell you, this plan interrupts that plan. This plan, God says, would you join me in a different story? And the prayer God's waiting for us to pray is the prayer of Mary, thy will be done. But let's be honest, the most common prayer in our life today is thou will be changed. If I don't like my job, I say, God, change it. If I don't like my mate, I say, God, change her. If I'm not happy with my children, I say, God, change them. If my health's not good, I always say, God, change it. If the church isn't what I think it ought to be, I say, God, move me, change it. Rarely do we pray... Lord, whatever you want, I want. Your will be done. May it be, Lord, as you have said. It changes everything. And that's why every once in a while, when we run into someone like Mary, who sold out for God, who's willing to pray, Lord, whatever you want, I'll do it, we're sort of blown away. We're blown away by Bill and Judy Bates, who ought to be enjoying a nice retirement in America, who say, Lord, whatever you want, and they're over in China. We're blown away by Joey and Annie, Ann Lede, who we would say it'd be a lot better for you to stay here and raise your children than to move to some Muslim country and try to reach that country. But they've signed up for a new story. We love the story of Mark and Jackie Loudermilk who give up a successful business in Missouri to move to a place like Montgomery, Alabama to do ministry. We're inspired by those stories. I'm inspired by Tony and Joe Adcock who drive here to this church from Troy most every Sunday. And who drive to this building every other Tuesday night to minister to people that are struggling with same-sex attraction. Why do they do that? Because they believed a new story. I love the young man I met with this week. Mary, got two children, living in the right part of town. But he grew up in the wrong part of the city. And now his dream is, how can I go back and help the people I grew up with? I've married into a great stable family. I've got a great stable family, but that's not the way I grew up. And where most of us would be saying, wow, let's just stay in our safe little conclave. He's saying, how can I get back in those neighborhoods and share with them what God has done in my life? Why? Because he's bought into a new story. And when you buy into this new story, it's, it's, it's an amazing story. It's a demanding story. It says what you had planned out for your life may not be God's plan. And are you willing for it to be interrupted? And that brings me to number three. It's the most adventurous story of all time. When you sign up for this story, it's a wild ride. It's an exciting ride. I mean, so many things can happen. You you don't live the way other people live. You don't do what other people do. Why? Because it's more than Merry Christmas. It's I want to follow this script. Just like Mary was willing for her life to be interrupted. God, take me where you want to. I know it's going to be a trip, I know sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable. But quite frankly, I'm sick of playing it safe. And the American dream may not be everything it was hyped up to be. I want some adventure in my life. I was talking to a a good friend of mine. His name is Wiley Mullins. I went to college with him years ago. He now lives in Connecticut. And um, uh, he came to town the other day to speak about diabetes, so I got to go go hear him speak. And he started this whole um, nationwide program of trying to cure diabetes. And and Montgomery is right in the middle of the diabetes belt. But he was talking about people who had inspired him in his life. He talked about this preacher he called Preacher Cartwright. He was not a located preacher. He was what you know as a a traveling preacher. And so if anybody, you know, needed a fill-in preacher, he filled in. And so he filled in all over this little city of Tuscumbia where Wiley grew up, a very small city. Now on the side, Preacher Cartwright was a, a barber. And after he preached at most all the churches in town, he sent a letter to all of their preachers saying, If you have any young men that money may be tied in their family, from 8 to 1 every Saturday, I'll cut their hair for a dollar. And so, while he said he used to go downtown Tuscumbia, and he'd get in line for Preacher Cartwright, and all these little boys would be lined up, all these little African American boys lined up to go in this going to this place. And he said, you'd walk in there and Mr. Cartwright said, I'm I'm about to to make you look good today. And and, and while you sat on the chair, he'd ask you what grade you were in. And if you said fourth grade, he'd point you to a box over in the corner of the store that had a four on it and say, go over there and get that book out. And so while he cut your hair, you had to read to him. And, and, And when you finished reading, he would tell you what an incredible job you'd done. You'd pay him your dollar, put the book back and go on. Well, he did this for hundreds of little boys growing up. Last Christmas, while he told me he was back in Tuscumbia, he'd gone with his sister to Walmart, and he ran into Preacher Cartwright's widow. And he began to reminisce with her about having his hair cut. And he said to him, he said, it was so amazing. Why did he ask us to read? And his widow said this, you didn't know this. But my husband could not read. And he knew for you boys to have any chance in life, you needed to be able to read. Now, why would someone live that way? Why would someone give dollar haircuts? Why would someone go out of their way to get little? Because he believed in a different story. And it led him to an adventure that touched hundreds of children. Because why do some of our members spend their time to go to Gibbs Village to minister? Because they bought into the adventure of a new story. Why are some of you willing to lead a small group where it really takes a good bit of your time and inconvenience you? And you have to sort of take care of people that are always easy to take care of because you have bought into a new story. It's not about you. It's about serving someone else. Why is that college student I ran into just a few nights ago willing to say, you know what, everybody around me is drinking like crazy, but I can tell you I have never drank a drop and I don't plan on doing it because he's bought into a different story than the American story. I don't know about you, but I've been so inspired by Pope Francis. And, And don't get me wrong, I'm sure we have grave theological differences. But if you read lately in the paper that this pope in the middle of the night puts on clothes that will disguise him and walks the streets of Rome looking for the poor. Why does he do that? Because he's bought into the adventure of a different story. My friends, we must buy into that story. A couple more points. This story has the most incredible ending of all time. It's incredible ending. I mean, not only is this baby born of a virgin, he grows up, lives a perfect life, sacrifices himself for us, dies on a cross, and resurrects. And we know that's the end of the story. And we know if we buy into the story, if we're willing to live a different story than our selfish life, that we too will have victory. And guys, that changes everything. Two years ago, there was a TV station in Los Angeles. They broadcast um, all of UCLA's basketball games back when UCLA was a big power. But they had one problem. When UCLA played on the East Coast, the time was just terrible for people to watch because it was the middle of the afternoon. And so they would delay the game and show it about three hours later. And they got a lot of complaints about that, because a lot of people listen to the game on the radio, and one of the complainers says, please don't show it late, we already know what happened. The TV manager wrote back, we understand that, that's right. But let me tell you this, we get better ratings when we show the game later, because people like watching the game when they know who already has won. You can Relax. And my friends, despite the difficulties of this life, we can relax because we know who's won. And this story that started with two obscure nobodies in an obscure podunk town ends up as the greatest story of all time, with the greatest victory of all time, that says to you and I, it's going to end differently. Titus chapter 2 talks about the first appearance of Jesus and the second appearance, and that's where we live in between. The first time he came, it was hard to perceive his glory. The second time, it will be hard not to see. The first time he had a baby's voice. The second time, he'll have a voice that will rock the world. The first time he came, there was a judgment on his head. The second time he comes, he will be the judge. The first time he came, worship was an option. The second time he comes, every knee will bow. All will see him. All will worship him. All will bow to him. You see, we know that. And that changes everything. And that's our last point. This story produces the most brave people of all time. We can be brave because we know the end. Mary can face ridicule because she knows of the victory. The disciples can face death because they know the resurrection. A teenager can take being mocked because they're a virgin because they know the promise of God. A young businessman's willing to be ethical even if he loses his job because he knows the end of the story. If you're facing death, you can face it with bravery because you know the end of the story. If you're having to give up friends because you want to follow Jesus, if you're having to take a stand where you work or where you go to school and people may not like it, you can do it with bravery because we know that we win. So let's repeat Nazareth's question one more time. Will you join... A new story. You see, here's today's challenge: surrender to God's story. Guys, many of us, too many of us, have been living our own story. Maybe we've been living our culture story. Society story. Oh, the, the, you know what's really going to make you f- happy and fulfill your life is if you have enough free time to do whatever you want to do and you can travel when you want to travel and you can play golf when you want to play golf and you can build as much as you want to build. Oh, I understand all those things. Nothing wrong with any of those things I've just mentioned. But is that your story? Is that the goal of your life? Because you're, you're, you're invited by this story to enter a new story. And it's so easy to enter the story. It starts just with surrender. It starts with surrender. I don't think I can tell you a more important word in my spiritual life than the word surrender. Because I think that's where it all starts. When you finally say, you know, God, I've been trying to live it my way. I've been living my story, and it's okay, but it's really not that great. It's it's actually quite boring, and and I'd like to be on an adventure, and I'd like my life to count. And I'd like somebody to walk in Walmart one day and talk to my widow and say, you know what, your husband changed my life. And it starts with Mary's prayer. I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. My friends, I know this. God has a script for your life. He has a new story he wants you to live. But just like with Mary, all of heaven is waiting on your answer. Are you willing today to lift your hands and say, Lord, may it be as you have said, I am your servant Lord, I don't understand this. I know this might be a little scary. I know I've got to make some changes. I know in front of some people it might be embarrassing or they might ridicule me. But let me tell you, I trust you. I trust you. And Lord, I'm your servant. And I'm saying right now, amen. May it be as you have said. Today, if you want to join that story, if you need us to pray for you, today about your life and living a different script. Maybe you're living the different script right now, and you're trying to live for Jesus, but it's tough, and you need some prayers to make it through that. It was for Mary. It will be for us. Or maybe you've just been living your own selfish story, and you're tired of that, and you want to surrender to God. Why don't you come right now while we stand and sing?